Hi, everybody. This is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. Our guest today is Scott Homan, and he is coming on the show to talk about coffins and death and the meaning of life, but also about his amazing documentary. So, Scott, with no further delays, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. And before we get into what your documentary is about and how all that started, uh, let's just get the basic three questions out, which is uh, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? I'm 42. I grew up in Wisconsin and I consider myself an old millennial. Um, I have an older brother who is very ex <laughs> and uh, I was born in 81. And I, I, I can see the difference. But at the same time, I have a big difference between myself and the general millennial tribe that exists in, in a number of ways. But I, I'm more on the side of the millennials if I had to like choose one if I'm on the fence. That's cool. Uh, we're so similar. That's crazy. Uh, I'm 42 as well. I was born in 1981. So now I have to ask what month and day were you born on just so I know. January 14th. Oh, wow. Cool. I'm June 30th. So we're about a half a year apart. That's cool. It's always interesting to me because I know this sounds like corny, but like we really have seen the exact same world. Like we like the same time at the same age, you saw like ATM machines come out, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I was I'm adopting a new chat service. There's always a new one, and I'm like, I've been doing the adoption of new technology since the beginning of technology that we consider uh, today. Like the early internet was just something that okay, we got that. Okay, I have a computer. Okay, now I'm learning how to code. Okay, now I'm making websites, and and just to see it, to see it, have seen it all play out one thing at a time. It's been interesting. Yeah, dude, that's really well said. I completely agree. And actually, it's funny, too, because I would love to ask you the next question that came to my mind, which is, are there things that you're starting to be like kind of old fogey about? You're like, no, nah, I'm just not going to get into that. Like my example would be TikTok. It's just like that's a step too far for me. Yeah, right. And in the way it got famous is people dancing in front of their, <laughs> their phone doing a selfie. And I'm like, I'm so not on board with doing that. <laughs> I'm, there's more to it than that now. But yeah, yeah, I've definitely not adopted TikTok for probably a similar reason. Yeah. And I'm a writer. So I know there's a writers of TikTok. But with that one exception, it's not really my demo. So I'm not going to be like uh, impressing people with adult nonfiction essays on tiktok so um however what you've done is actually something that could get a claim on tiktok or anywhere else and it's actually what my first first love ever was the first thing i ever did creatively really was make a documentary and so i am not jealous of you but i'm incredibly impressed because you're still doing it and you have done a damn good job from what i can tell and i told you this before the interview i'm always honest with my audience i have not watched it yet but that's because i was purposely waiting to watch it because i don't like to do everything before I interview a guest. So um, I'm definitely planning on watching it. So is my wife, and I love the theme. So why don't you go ahead and announce what it is and what it's about and all that. The film is the first documentary, maybe the only documentary, um, said it's similar, uh, to ever, to humanize the cult experience and the processing of trauma through art and music. <clears throat> it's, it's, all, it's like a three-chapter three chapter documentary. The first chapter humanizes people living inside of a cult through the archival footage and music of a music community of like three or four, 500 kids inside of a religion over the course of 17 years, they have a backlog of short films, trailers for movies they never made and music videos for weird, dark things about cannibalism and other bizarro stuff that they did and horror films that they did a trailer for horror films um, that they never made. And they were just having a lot of fun and the music is amazing. And it's like this underground lost bunch of like community of music or, archive of music and then a lot of those people left that religion and so the chapter two which is like the main the main reason i made the movie was because i lived this experience and i went and found these people that also lived this experience but they have much they have this backlog of, of content 
to work with to make it a documentary and the experience is being shunned by family and friends. And so well, the thing I thought might tie really in really well into your uh, show theme of being coffin talks is that the people that everyone in the movie and myself knew growing up um, treat us as if like there's as they choose to not be in our lives 100% cut off, never communicate again kind of situation. Wow. And there's a very few caveats to that. So that's shunning. So the, the movie demonstrates the cutoff, the dissolute, like almost like the disillusion and waking up. Mm-hmm. If, you can, if I can use that term, I don't really like that term, but the kind of realization of disbelief in certain things or completely in, in everything supernatural and, and then having the community cut you off and demonstrating the losses that come from that shunning fallout of, of being honest about where you're at in your own belief system. And then most films that talk about this topic cut right there and roll the credits. It's like pity. You're supposed to feel pity and sadness. And we wanted to show one more thing, which is like, and it gets better. Like, well, what happened to those people after these tragic losses? It's not just one person. There's five people that we follow cool. who all knew each other as teens. And then this, this whole fallout happens for all of them at different, like one after the next, like a cascade of, of losses. And then, well, what is their life like now? Well, after that, they had a lot of fuel to make amazing art. And they went and, and did that. And they, they put out like 12 albums in their religion um, that were like pressed and released publicly. And then after they did like 20 and those are all available. All that's available in our Kickstarter for releasing our film right now. It's available for the first time ever right now in Kickstarter. And it'll continue to be available. But if you're interested in supporting the project, you can get all that music and that and the soundtrack and the film and the extras. And all that stuff. Um, but all that to say, like we show them kind of rising off of that, like finding their voice and that becoming a path of free thinking mm-hmm. throughout the, the middle of the film. And then. The, the last chapter of the film, the third chapter, is sort of this, especially this one woman and her band that she formed after leaving, is sort of like her, her, her rise to fame in the public. Um, and fame is maybe a little bit too much, but her rise to being a rock goddess and, in her city and making amazing art that's really, her finding her voice in that band, really filling up their sound and, and really experimenting and playing with, with music and art as a free, form of freedom of expression. And there was there's you know, 17 other bands that did something similar <laughs> wow. out of that same community. Well, and so let's get into that community a little bit for like uh, just the strict background purposes. So I don't want to spoil things and, you know, all that. But mm-hmm. what uh, where was it located? What was their fundamental like name, if any? And then like what was the like the draw? Like what, you know, uh, for example, like David Koresh saying, like, if you join my cult, I'm going to make sure that you go to heaven, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The name of the music community. Mm hmm was nuclear gopher okay and there's a we describe why and what the, how that or the origin of that in the film briefly okay. <laughs> cool um, but it was basically a, a family that did like cover band stuff for, wow. for weddings wow. and they had a bunch of kids and those kids grew up with a music studio and practice room and all the instruments they could dream of since they were little kids so they became like one became an amazing drummer and they started writing music and because of the religious restrictions they couldn't really watch much tv or play with kids at school or do much else so they you know there wasn't there was like three channels on tv if they did watch something and they had strict rules and so they made music they made a lot of music and they put out all kinds of albums before while they were teenagers and then they started inviting people into the studio to like well you have, you play music that's cool come to our come to our house and we'll play music and they recorded their music and then then bands just like emerged out of this basement um, studio of their parents um and that was the origin of it. And then it kept on growing. And then the next, the, the next generation that were like five, 10 years younger mm-hmm. really took it far and like 
built out their sound and like that was spreading across their states, not just the city. And I heard of them because they had one of the early websites and they had the first wow. live stream complete album on the internet. Oh my God. Guy, yeah. It was just a lot to this whole story. No, this is really cool. I'm, I'm fascinated. So this is in Wisconsin. You're growing up. You're about like 10, 11, 12, I'm assuming. This is in Minnesota, Minneapolis, the next state over. All right. And I, I was doing the same thing. So my personal story is I had a similar thing going on, okay. but with my brothers and we had our, we had our basement with our music and equipment and our parents are really big music lovers. Mm-hmm. It's a huge vinyl collection and we listen to music and eight tracks like crazy. Um, we, we'd record Dr. Demento on, on eight tracks. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. I loved Weird Al Yankovic because it was nice. like Polish and, and going on where I'm from. Um, uh, but yeah, big love for music. And then that was like parallel side of band in high school that was with people outside the religion, which is very unprecedented and not normal. Okay. So we had, I, my parents were like half in the religion and um, so I had a very even thing and then my parents bought a piece of land next to our land in the countryside but it had a house on it because after the neighbor died and that became our music studio they were like so happy to have the drummer and the guitarist of the family leave the basement and have a separate building far away for the noise and then that became like the hub for like the whole county's musicians we all everyone left their bass amps and guitars and um keyboards and i built a sound system and we recorded albums there it was it was a whole thing. So it was almost like a parallel story. So when I found this group in Minneapolis, I was like, ooh, not only do they have a similar experience to me in all regards, the music, the shunning, the leaving, the realization, the path to understanding something different with, as you grow up in life and wanting to get out of it. Um, but they, yeah, like all of that just combined was like, oh, oh and, and then all of them in that music scene were all in this, the religion we didn't talk about yet. It's Jehovah's Witnesses. So it is Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. These Jehovah's Witnesses, okay. yeah. So they were all Jehovah's Witnesses. Where I, my experience is like I was the only Jehovah's Witness in this story, or me and my brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for them, it was like no, they were all very isolated in a bubble. But they had this thing because of those restrictions, this amazing opportunity to explore art, even though it's like kind of taboo to do that. But mm-hmm. they were following all the rules, and they were rising up in the hierarchy in the church, and so they were on good standing. Um, so everyone kind of just like. Like, okay, you're the quirky weirdo who plays drums, but we still love you. We'll let that slide. And everyone kind of got into that position to keep on making music. Wow. So you were not Jehovah's Witness, correct? I'm just making sure I'm keeping track of this right. Like my my dad joined the religion and he attempted to indoctrinate me unsuccessfully. Okay. <laughs> to say All my siblings are still in. My parents oh, are wow. still in. My grandparents are on the one side of the family. The other side of the family had nothing to do with that faith. Okay. So I had this kind of like middle ground path. I mean, this is... Uh... This is so fascinating. And again, again, my, 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 you go first, my brother, and he got to me. But uh, uh, one of the reasons we're both intrigued is that, like, we just interviewed someone a, like a month ago about being in a cult, and it was very different from her experience. But yours is like you're doing something about it, and you're like talking about it so much. But Jehovah's Witness is like so famous, at least in America, to me that I almost don't call it a cult. So I'm curious, like, do you think it's officially a cult? And and by the way, for people listening internationally, because I used to teach ESL, you guys call sects cults and we call sex cult, uh, cult sex. So it's, I know this is confusing. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like, uh, so what we're talking about is a, a group that is unorthodox by the conventional standards of a community and considered to be outliers and not like valid. So no one would call a Muslim person in a cult in America, but they commonly do call Jehovah's Witnesses a cult. So yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's a very loaded piece of language in <laughs> English and and probably in, in other languages. I, I am in Panama at the moment and I've been living in Mexico and I spent 
this is my eighth year living abroad. So I totally get that. First, I love that you highlighted that. There's a difference there. So there's there's the bite model. That's Stephen Hassan. He's an ex Mooney. He followed the Moonies back in the 70s, 80s, and then got out and then wrote a book about um, mind control and um, and how to define a cult and like what are the criteria. And even Netflix has a, a series that just came out, like how to how to form a cult or how to have a success be a successful cult leader. And they have like a play by play in every episode of like this is how this cult started and this is how they did this thing. So there, there's some formulas on how to like, coerce people into doing things that they wouldn't otherwise do that benefit the cult leader. And uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a used to have a cult leader, and then that passed. They passed the baton onto the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, and eventually they had a whole group of men that are apparently spirit appointed. So they've kind of broken out of the standard cult mold um, by adapting. Um, but if you read Stephen Hassan's work on the BITE model, B-I-T-E is an acronym, and I won't describe it here, but that's a very good place to start. But my my main reason why I define it as a cult is that you can't, there is no dignified way to leave. Oh, wow. You can't walk away without being having your reputation destroyed and having um, everyone you've ever loved stop talking to you. And they say they love you if you do get in touch with them, but they're not allowed to talk to you. And they know that, that they, they want to, but they can't. Because if they do and it gets found out, they will also get cut off. And so everyone's trying to protect their position in society. And that kind of control over your mind and your life and your family, I mean, that's, this is what, like, you, you kidnap somebody and you threaten to kill them and you get the family to give you money. You know, like, this is the, the dark side. And they're all, like, hanging on by a thread in this religion, trying to keep it all together on, with, the, with the same offer that Emperor Palpatine gave to Anakin in Star Wars. Like, <laughs> with, only with the dark side can you find the path to immortality. And it's like, immortality is the carrot on the stick. They all want, they all want to get into paradise. And the Jehovah's Witnesses offer that. Wow. That's so heavy. That's so, dude, I, first of all, you're a fascinating guest. You're a fascinating human. And, um, I just love your eloquence. I, I, there's no dignified way to leave that sent chills up my arms and goosebumps. My parents, um, growing up, they raised me, they're transcendental meditators. And it was always on like the bubble of being a cult for me. And it, it didn't turn into one, thankfully, but they did move to a special community with other meditators. And that was like, sort of the breaking point for them and me, which is I, I would like overhear conversations with people where they constantly talk about enlightenment, which is their version of like, you know, the Holy land. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was so fascinating. The only huge difference though, and I'm glad you presented this and it's true is there was a dignified way to leave and no one cared. And like, my parents are still friends with people from there. So like, it's cool that you actually just helped me uh, actually cope with something from my youth. Cause that's something I've always had trouble assessing and dealing with because i love meditating the same way like you could be in jehovah's witness and love some form of like meditation or prayer they offer you know i'm not like i said i'm not familiar at all yeah actually speaking of which what would be the most positive thing you could say about being a jehovah's witness oh hey everyone if you're a fan of the show please head over to mikeyop.com and click the subscribe button it's the best way to support us and it's free that's m-i-k-e-y-o-p-p.com thanks there is a, a beautiful built-in community of of trust and respect um, anywhere you went in any part of the planet. Wow. If you showed up to one of the churches in another country, even if you spoke nothing of the language, they would just, if you couldn't communicate at all, but you were there, they would assume you're one of them. Huh. And they would take you in and put you up in their house and feed you and take you around and show you a tour with the 
bare minimum communication skills, body body gestures or something. Um, most people would have like some basics, like travel basics, like you, know, you, you learn the first like 50 words of a language, like hello, hi, I'm hungry, where's the bathroom? <laughs> like that would be like huge and they would you would have the time of your life because they would put you up and, and it would be like not everybody, but someone in the someone in the church would do it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that kind of family feeling or or global tribe feeling is phenomenal and maybe unprecedented in the world. But if they were to find out or they usually do an interrogation, that's like it's a chilled out interrogation, but it's a kind of interrogation where they try to get to know where you stand on the hierarchy in the church and where you like how what is how is do you believe actually? And they'll ask like specific questions and they tiptoe around it, but like they're trying to get a sense of how, how much they can trust you mm. through that language. Wow. And it's always changing. They're always updating their language. So if you're out for five years or 10, like they'll, you'll, they'll not, they'll know that you're not one of them. Huh. I've been up 15 years. So like there's language I start seeing when I'm making these movies. So I'm like very aware of what's going on in the church. Wow. Because other people talk about it. So like there's language I'm seeing online that I don't recognize. Like they started using a word like anyone who leaves is mentally diseased and it's contagious. Oh, like they didn't wow. say that when I was growing up. Yeah. Like they're afraid of the outside. And that's smart. I mean, that's like smart PR because they're picking up on like contemporary phrases that Gen Z uses a lot and stuff. So that's that's interesting. Mm. That's insidious is probably a less polite way to say interesting. What, in your opinion, is the most scary thing about having been in it and then making this documentary? Like, do you fear any like real backlash from that community, like beyond verbal or anything? Or do you even fear that? Uh, I feared making this that there would be some kind of legal backlash Mm -hmm. they're they're not a violent people like it's cool they try to get they want to get into paradise they're pretty pacifist (laughs) yeah um but if you there's like a a thing that happens like there's just a bombing in Kerala and a bunch of people were killed at one of their conventions and that guy admitted that he was a jehovah's witness but that he just got kicked out and he was upset oh wow and then there was a shooting in germany where a guy got kicked out of religion two weeks later he went back to their church and he murdered like eight people including Mm -hmm. a pregnant woman and a kid and Um, that happens like every year, like someone who just got kicked out and is like in furious and upset by how it went, how it all happened. Um, there's like 200, no, a hundred thousand people get kicked out or leave every year. So there's a lot of people. So like, this is an, almost like a numbers game. Like who's, what of those hundred thousand, who's going to, who's going to go kill somebody. Wow. And what's the main reason to kick someone out? Oh, it could be as simple as, um, smoking a cigarette. You lose your family forever. Um, and, and not being sorry enough about it, or it depends on how public it was. Like you could have sex outside of marriage and get away with it. And, but cause you're sorry about it and you like go and like confess your sins to the body of elders and then tell them that you, you promise you'll never do it again. And, and you're a sinner. And they're like, they might, because it depends on how many people know about it. Mm-hmm. They might let you, might, might let you slide. But like if you, someone saw you smoking a cigarette in public, they might kick you out forever. And or like, not, there's always a path, there is a path back, but it's like one year, usually six months at the minimum to a year of going and facing everyone. And they're, they're not allowed to talk to you. And you have to go to church every week and not miss anything. And you have to beg and write letters every few months. And then they might let you back in, but they'll basically deny you. You have to keep doing it and grovel, basically grovel and tell them that like, they're amazing and you suck. <laughs> and that you really want to get back in and you really miss everyone and you you like feel terrible about how you, you know, sinned against your true the true God of the universe. Wow. And then they might let you back into the community. I met um a woman in my MFA program when I was twenty eight or twenty nine and she was a Jehovah's Witness former and she was writing a memoir about it and it was deeply disturbing. I will just say this out loud. I remember about three different people's stories from around 
35 different ones that we read like a ton of in that two-year program and hers stands out so vividly in my memory and a lot of it had to do with her parents just their final goodbye that was like the opening scene was the last time her parents talked to her so very similar to what you're talking about yeah it's the, it's the lived common experience of someone <sighs> who leaves the religion is everyone's shunned and cut off from the people that they've always loved and that you know blood relationships family actual family in great relationships get destroyed it's not like I haven't talked to my sister, but we never liked each other. It's like, yeah, we hung out every year and we kept in touch and we like cared about each other's lives until some moment where the religion was like, you have to cut them off. Oh man. That's so hard. I just can't like, Oh, you ever seen the TV series handmaid's tale? Uh, I've read the book. I've not seen the series. Okay. That, that series blew my mind. Cause I was like, that's, that's the experience I lived. This is a theocratic government oh, who controls wow. everything including like all the dark side of like child sex abuse and like they control your medical life. Like you have to sign away your rights to your own um, medical sovereignty of your own body. Wow. Elders will come into the church or come to the hospital and like make sure that you don't get certain medical care and they would rather have you die and call you a martyr. Like that you made the ultimate sacrifice to the religion and die. And then they parade your, the people that survive you in front of the congregation is like, we know that this person will be in paradise because they made the ultimate sacrifice. Isn't that a great example of faith? It's like the darkest. So, I mean, I'm gleaning from like talking to you about this. Uh, so your sister is still in it. And, and so is half your family. It's my, my parents. And so my mom never got baptized. Okay. She, and she's never gone door to door preaching. And she never did the speaking in front of public in, in the church, which is they used to have a school you had to you kind of had to be a part of. Okay. Um, it was like training for public speaking, going door to door, preaching to people. And um, so she's like an honorary member, but not an official member after like 30 years plus being in it, raising her kids and around it. Um, so she takes it somewhat seriously. I think she believes a lot of it mm-hmm. and must reject some of it or she would have like gotten it, gotten all the way in. Um, but yeah, so my four siblings, my parents and my grandparents, and then like all my parents, my dad's siblings, his two sisters and brother, and then their most of their kids. So most of my cousins on that side of the family are in it. Then I haven't, I have two cousins that are not in it at all. So I have like 17 family members in it. And then the rest of my, my mom's side of the family. So I don't, I'm not really close to most of them, mm-hmm. partially because of the separation of the religion. But none of them have anything to do with it. And they're far, part of many different religions, like Baptists and Lutherans and atheists, agnostics. Like most of them don't care. Some of them are Lutherans. And a, little, a little hodgepodge of everything. And it's very like not a big deal to them, religion. It's like, yeah. gosh, it's a personal thing. Which is nice to grow up with, having that balance. Yeah, I mean, God, it's like, it's crazy. So you're, um, happen, you said you're in Panama right now, but you've lived in Mexico and other places. I also lived a little bit in other countries. Um, did, was that like you broke from the religion and then you just like wanted freedom and you left America? Or was it like, like, what was the, like, was it related to Jehovah's Witness that you left our country, America? It's a great question. Um, so the religion has like this pamphlet for youth. They're like, these are the six things that you can do with your life. Choose one of these <laughs> amazing options. And, and one of those is, uh, well, one of them is like going to world headquarters and being a slave in their book factory and washing laundry for the higher ups oh and everything. God. And the other one is like becoming an elder in your local congregation. The other one's being a, the elder's wingman, being like the, the Robin to your Batman, like helping out the elders, a ministerial servant, they call it. And then a servant, like be a servant. Um, and then one of them is like, go international and do the preaching work internationally. And I was like, all these ideas suck. I don't want to do any of this, but at least that one has an adventure and I could go to another country and experience something of the beauty of culture in this world. So fascinated by living abroad and going and traveling. 
And I always had it in the back of my mind, like, okay, if I'm going to stick with this religion, like, I guess I could do that because I'm bored to tears going to do the normal stuff. And I, I started doing, I learned Spanish um, to kind of do the international work or the, in my own state, there was Spanish speaking people. So we learned Spanish and I went to Florida for a minute because I thought I had a company there. Now I had this goal of like going to Central and South America. So I did that with the religion, but it was like my last kind of my last straw after college. And you're not even allowed to go to college. But I, like, when I was 19, I took a six month leave from the religion and just went traveling with my high school buddies and oh, skateboarding wow. tour around the country. And I went to some other churches and checked them out. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'm on my own. I can like explore things. And um, I got, I don't know, my dad kind of sucked me back in for family. And I was like, okay, well, if I want to do the religion, I'm going to take it on my own terms. I'm going to, I'm going to keep making music with my buddies and I'm, I'm not doing this thing. I'm definitely going to college and um, I'm going to travel. And he's like, hey, you can do all that stuff. Doesn't, none of that stuff really matters. Just you and God and the kingdom and like make sure you stick to the rules with the religion. Like, ugh, okay, <laughs> only the big rules. But so I kind of stuck, I kind of went back into it on my own terms on some level. And I went to college and then eventually I went abroad and I was like, it kind of, like, not really as a missionary, but kind of exploring it. But yeah, like getting, I was surprised that my family eventually cut me off after leaving. I left at 27 years old. Okay. Um, and I was very, I was surprised my family cut me off. So 15 years ago, wow. and there was a couple of years of like grace where they were like, we'll talk to you, but we're going to definitely talk about what the Bible says. And we're going to make sure you, you know, keep thinking about talking to those elders again, because they, they can bring you back. And I'm like, I've talked to the elders about all this stuff and they're idiots. They have no idea what they're talking about. I've read so many books on this topic and like, they don't know anything because they only read your literature. And it was like that kind of discussion with my family, my grandpa and my dad for a long time. And then there was a hard break where like everyone cut me off digitally and then, and then no more phone calls, no answering phone calls, no answering emails. I did find out that they read everything that I write them, but I kind of got exhausted of writing to people that don't ever reply or calling and leaving voicemails to people that don't reply. So I was like, okay, there's, there's this dead relationship. It takes two people to want to have a relationship. Um, so I just kind of gave up on it. Wow. But then I was like, after a while, I was like, don't tell anyone about this religion. It's a weird part of my past. I'm not proud of it. So I kept it a secret for a long time. And then um, I just was like, it's not worth telling people. But then I would get close to somebody new. And, and I was like, oh, this crazy thing happened in my past. And then they would want to know, but then they would, it would never feel like, it was like, oh, now you're just this weirdo to them. Like you were in a cult. That was weird. Now you're an ex-cult member. Like that's <laughs> oh, also no. weird. And, like you're just like, an, you're just like another uh, weird person. Like I don't know if I can get that close to you because you're one of those weirdos. Yeah. And I discovered then I had like PTSD about it and I needed to get some help with it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Making the movie was like. I need to tell people about shunning because this is really just dark. Like I think I had probably have some weird mental um, like leftovers from the programming and, and the, I successfully navigated cult mind control, but it has its marks and programming like left on me making the movie about it, like really revealed a lot of those things. Yeah. Like what's a, a one that you think would like thrill our audience to hear about, if that makes sense. Like what's one of the more interesting ones? Oh, I think the most fresh one for me after being out for 15 years is that I, I dated someone last year that was like a narcissistic abuse control thing that I was like trying to navigate. I was like pointing out things I didn't like, and then it would be like getting punished and, and like, like, I don't know, made to feel like I'm somehow crazy. And I, like, I felt like this person was, in, and maybe I, I don't know, I almost feel for like where they're at, like how they got to the place where they're at. Cause narcissistic abuse as I'm learning is like, there's like no hope for these people. <laughs> and anyone who's like works in the space, they're like, don't walk away from these people run as fast as you can. Yeah. Like there's no hope. Like there's no, no one has ever helped a narcissist. <laughs> They've never 
moved away from that. They're just stuck in that thing and getting away from them is the best thing you can possibly do and let them live out their miserable lives. And I feel sad about that because it's like, I don't want to cut people off. That's what this religion did. And I don't feel good about any of that. Uh, anyway, like, I feel like I, that, while I was going through that, like the end of that relationship, I realized like, oh, I've felt this way before. And I did some methods I learned in therapy, like EDMR and oh, wow, meditative cool. practices. Cause I do like dharmic type stuff and try to like understand what's going on in my subconscious world, which I really love that space. Cool. What I learned is that like, I, I realized I had had a similar kind of interaction with another person mm-hmm. almost every year of my adult life. Oh, wow. And why, why am I attracted to people? Well, I feel like I'm being super honest and like I'm putting myself out there. I'm being clear about what my intentions and, and drives are. And I get into some relationship with somebody, whether it's business or romantic or personal or friendship. And then it turns into this like nightmare situation where I... I, I can't believe what's happening and being said and how this person is trying to, you know, do something that's so destructive in my life and, and mess with me. And I, and I, and I've gotten away from this, but I feel like I have chosen these people like, cause they're familiar mm-hmm. and I see them, I'll see a room filled with people and I'm like, Ooh, yeah, that person's interesting. <laughs> I'll go talk to that person. I'll be like, it's like drawn like a moth to a flame <laughs> yeah. to these kinds of people. Like, why was I, why am I attracted to these kinds of people? And I think maybe the religion had something to do with it. Or maybe I even had a parent that is, had this kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, well, that, I understand that world. I'm going to go over there. The rest of these people are such boring normies. I don't want to be involved at all. Yeah. But like, the boring normies, um, I mean, that's a really negative way to paint the vast majority of humanity. But that's like how I was feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. And I also think it's just fair to be honest about how we all feel sometimes. And I think it's, um... It's funny. I, I noticed that uh, people make fun of self-help until they need help. And it's just like funny. I've seen this pattern with like all my friends growing up. Like they're like, oh, that's so stupid. Why would someone hire a, loaf, a life coach, for example? Or why would someone go, you know, either you go to traditional therapy or you just whatever. And then, you know, something really major or catastrophic will happen to them. And like they're reading books. They're talking about like famous names in the self-help community. And I feel it's kind of the same way that there's this like thing where when you're over that divide, like you really want to like cure yourself and like figure it out. So the subconscious work that you alluded to and stuff, it is fascinating. And I think it is probably the second most important thing a human could be doing after taking care of like the actual lizard brain needs, you know I mean? Cause that, that does actually matter. Mm-hmm. But if you have safety, shelter and security, you know, instead of like seeking a million dollars, you might want to seek like a mind that doesn't give you crap every night and make sleeping hard, you know? Yeah. It's something that our film kind of touches on that I almost feel like it was my editor and the, the associate producer to help me kind of curate the story of Witness Underground is, is we wanted to show and it gets better ending. And it was ah, important cool. to me to like, show these people landing on the outside. And the, the YouTube series that I launched this whole thing with, which is very much like a personal exploration, like interviewing someone else about this exit of religion and what their life is like now that they've gone through that. Cause for me, it's like the most important decision I've ever made and everything's gotten better since then. Mm-hmm. Like I love what I'm doing and how I've lived my life ever since leaving this religion. I feel alive and I'm able to explore and do whatever I want. And it's taken me around the world and it's made, it's gotten me back into things I love with film and music. And I've made another documentary when I was living in Vietnam for five years. And then that was like a prototype to the concept or like almost like the set of my movie's music. Mm-hmm. The set of that movie is just like, here's the music scene in Vietnam, Northern Vietnam. What is it like? And then and it's like an exploration. This one's like, it's the same set. Music, but with inside of a high control cult, or high control religion. 
but there's a huge deep story for this. It gets better angle was like my whole YouTube channel. And that um, it's, it's called witness underground as well. And that cool. series is called XJW coming out and using the language of the LGBT community uh-huh. because it's a similar kind of wake up here and the similar kind of risks of saying anything to anyone about it, letting people know that you're, you do this thing that's like atypical in society. Um, alienates people and you never know who you can trust and who you can who will respect you after that's similar to the leading of a religion and community yeah i can definitely see it so actually be coming out and then so i had that same theme and so i met ryan the main guy in the movie when he did an interview he's like if you're going to tell my story it needs to be this thing and not this other thing mm-hmm. and you get a very clear perspective and it aligns with my goals and that was it gets out it um the it gets better angle and so the last like chapter of the film the third chapter is the like a deep exhale, like, that was a lot. Wow, okay. <laughs> no, what are their lives like now? And we get to see that, and we get to have them kind of, like, recollect from this bottom, this present moment about that crazy time in their past. And I feel like what we discovered is that music shortens the duration of pro- processing your trauma and finding your voice and having a life that you're excited about the present and the future, not just looking back at the trauma of the past and being, like, stuck in that anger space or that frustration or like disbelief space that's so cool and that's 100 percent my experience of having my son taken very abruptly from me was uh the only thing that really helped was music so i, I totally agree with that i haven't even asked you the question that we always ask every guest on the podcast but it's because i was so entranced by everything you're talking about but i do want to know <laughs> as a former jehovah's witness who now is like out on the wi- in the wild and doing your thing, uh, what do you actually think is going to happen to you when you die? The only thing that I have found, because when I left and everyone in the movie, you kind of realize this when you watch it, it's a sub-theme of the movie, is that people sort of realize they just didn't believe in anything supernatural. And most people call that atheism, but atheism is kind of like a very narrow focused segment of society. And there's like a, a lot of like loaded language around what that is. Like, oh, you just want to debate God or debate religion. Like, no, atheism, like, you just don't care. Um, some people want to do that and have a lot of things to say. Um, but so I think a lot of us, like, just were like, okay, well, that was a bunch of bullshit. That was just like, wow, I can't believe I was a part of that thing. I don't believe in angels and demons anymore. They don't really have angels. They have demons. Demons are always watching and taunting you ah. in that religion. They're very dark. And uh, so getting out of that was like, okay. None of that was real. And all the prayers I was doing, that's not real. And I kind of just lived in that like materialist atheism view of the world for a number of years. But I started using uh, magic mushrooms or psilocybin, mm-hmm. psychoactive chemical in the mushrooms. And in a, in a very nice way, I'm really happy with the way um, it, I was introduced to it. Cool. And in that, I, I felt something and I feel like I experienced something that might even be like the backbone or origin of many faiths faiths or the idea of spirituality Mm -hmm. because I felt connected to the living on the planet, like all plants and and creatures and fungus. And like, it just felt like, Oh, I am a part of this. I'm connected to this. We're, we're like transmitting communicate. There's communication happening there between my body and the other living stuff on the planet. And maybe that's like this idea of consciousness. We probably, if we, we have consciousness and no one can figure out what it is, we're probably not the first creature to have it. <laughs> Even like cool. a dog can seem self-aware, right? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like this consciousness is, is common. And, and if there's any transference of, of communication between our body and the 
the global life network of consciousness that maybe any kind of living on would be in the continuously living organisms on the planet. And for me, that's probably it. Cool. That's a great answer. That's very, very interesting. And it's definitely original and I've not heard it, but it's, it has echoes just like a lot of the answers do. And that's what I, my favorite part of it in this podcast is seeing the, the interconnectedness and like not the interconnectedness, but both like the, just how different people are living. And, uh, you've been a great guest. You've, uh, you're so phenomenally interesting and I feel like we barely got to anything. So perhaps we'll have you back on in the future. Thanks. Is there anything you just kind of want to like leave our audience as far as like just your life philosophy, wisdom, something you just want people to hear? I think being fully honest with yourself is so, so valuable to find your voice and to just be truly yourself without fear of what other people will think or how your, your relationships might be conditional based on what you believe or don't believe. Being able to be completely open and honest, like the right people will, will be there and, and, and uh, support you in that. Um, and that's been super liberating for me to just say like, no, I, I, this is what I believe and this is what I don't believe. And I don't care if you agree with me or not. Is like this beautiful place to exist and to also listen to the other people and what they believe in, and don't believe in how they live. And I, I love having conversations, even if, especially if I don't agree with somebody. Like, it's fine. We are all here to tell our piece of the story and to live um, free to explore. That's awesome. And that's such a powerful message. And I totally agree. And you're 42. I'm 42. And I feel like I hope fingers crossed that is kind of what our 40s is all about is getting over the 20s, 30s thing of like, how do I fit in? Who are other people? Where do I fit in with them? And how can I be less or more like them? So um, thank you again, Scott Holman for coming on the show. Witnessunderground.com. That's the only thing you need to know. Remember it, speak it into Siri or whatever the heck you're using and just go check it out. Um, There is a Kickstarter. It would be awesome if some of the listeners could go on there and be generous and help them out but if you don't feel like that obviously you're still going to be totally helping them with clicks and views on youtube and all that so please please check it out and uh just think about if you had been in a cult and if you were trying to help other people what you would want and what you would uh, hope other people would do so that's how i'm looking at every time i have any guest on the show who's just trying to make this world better for all of us and scott is another one of those people he's joined our army uh if you want to help out this show just go over to mikeyop.com it's m-i-k-e-y-o-p com and sign up for the weekly emails and as a bonus if you want extra podcasts and other stuff please sign up for the premium subscription uh, my name is mike oppenheim we have been talking with scott homan and this has been another episode of coffin talk and we will see you soon